Welcome to Kingdom in Context. The Creator never intended for us to be confused by His words. He gave us His words of life, and He gave them in context, to be understood and beneficial to our walk with Him. This channel's goal is to bring clarity to some of the misconceptions that have formed over time among believers and taught by others, however innocent and well-intended. The scriptures make complete sense when we keep them in context of His coming kingdom and His coming King, Jesus the Messiah. If you're blessed by what we're doing with this channel and feel led to support us, visit the video description below where we have a PayPal option, a monthly Patreon option, or a traditional P.O. Box address. Thank you, and remember, context creates comprehension. Okay, guys. Sorry, I was on. I was on mute. I guess I didn't notice it coming into the studio. But thank you for joining us here in Kingdom Cast. Appreciate you. Um, I'm Sean. I'm your host, and we're going to finish up our series. Um, not finish up, but we're going to continue in our investigating Babylon series, where we're actually looking at uh, the five major types of practices of of Babylon, basically the both historically in the present time, and then we're going to preface some prophecy as well from things that we see in Scripture. So. Um, thanks for joining me. This is it's been a few weeks since I've been back. So we have a lot of people in the chat already. I want to thank everyone for being here. Quite a few people. And as you probably saw the intro coming in, guys, we're doing um, even though you're watching this on Kingdom Cast, and hopefully you've subscribed to Kingdom Cast. If if not, go ahead, subscribe it and hit the bell as well for notifications. Um, but we're gonna be doing this uh this like you saw a promo for uncommon ground that's a show that west blaze music and i are going to be taking um, on together and that's going to be on his channel so please go over to west blaze music on youtube and be sure to subscribe to his channel so you can catch episode one because that's um we're, we're having a lot of we're gonna have a lot of fun with that series it's gonna be really fun it's gonna be a biblical cosmology series and uh, i think um you'll be blessed by it and hopefully you're gonna have a lot of a lot of bite-sized information, both from science and scripture, to be able to share with friends and family about the truth of what scripture says, because it all has to do with the return of our Messiah and the day of the Lord, the coming of the kingdom of God, which is the central message of the scriptures throughout all the prophets. So it is. Um, it, it saddens me when I hear some people that are a part of church or mainstream evangelism, they claim that biblical cosmology is just a distraction from the cross. And I'm like, guys, it, it, it literally is the... You know the, the surrounding setting by which our Messiah returns in order to you know resurrect you to eternal life and save the world from violence and bring peace on the earth and it's literally like it, you can't even hardly understand any of that prophecy unless you understand biblical cosmology as it's described in hundreds of places throughout Scripture. So it it is a huge component piece of understanding the context, the overall context of Scripture, um, and it's being referenced literally from start to finish, from Genesis one to Revelation twenty one and twenty two. It's it's being referenced. And it assumes you understand what it's been saying. So make sure you go join us for that new series. We're going to have a lot of fun doing it and uh, doing some new things we've never done on, on Kingdom in Context as well. So uh, go subscribe to West Blaze Music. I really appreciate it, guys. I want to say hello to quite a few people already in the chat. Uh, Michelle Wilcox, Jasmine W., Jared Mead, Susan Avery, Jim Newport, 
Mama Lou Bear, Gretch Bradley, Gretch Bradley, Carrie Erez, Gilbert Miranda, uh, Shannon Mackey, welcome everyone. Art Builder CCMC, welcome. Hannibal's back, welcome. David Shearer, welcome, sir. Uh, okay, Miss Kathy's here. Windfeather, Shannon Poclo, Set Apart Simple, Earl Rogers, AC's back. Welcome, everyone. Appreciate you guys being back. Um, there's a lot more. There's a lot more. But um, hopefully you guys are excited for tonight. And uh, we will jump right in. As always, guys, I'm going to go through like the main portion of the presentation, some things I prepared for tonight, and then we'll, we'll take questions at the end. So be sure to stick around to the end. And uh, let me see here. We are trying to grow our um, our Patreon, guys. So go check us out on Patreon. We're actually going to start putting up some unique uh, concepts on Patreon that's only available to patrons. And so I'll explain that in the next six or seven days after I get a little bit more information. But uh, go check us out on Patreon. The link's in the description below. But let's go ahead and start tonight and continue into our investigation in Babylon as we are looking into just the consistent practices they've always had since the Tower of Babel, because it's a part of the occult, right? It's a part of their religion. And um, so for many of you that remember, we've already done several episodes already from the past, and now we're midway into our present series where we're investigating everything about Babylon from the present. And then we're also going to be jumping into the future here in a few episodes. Um, for a lot of you that have been asking, yes, we are going to be covering during our present series. We are going to be covering an entire episode just on NASA. Um, because that's a huge component piece of deception in this world, um, because that's the model by which other countries have adopted that same part of deception and are propagating to their cultures and their people. So we're definitely going to spend a lot of time, an entire episode just on NASA. And I think it's um, two episodes from now. It's either 13 or 14. I got it planned. So um, be looking out for that. All right, guys. So look, Babylon. It's, you know, like I said before, it's kind of quink and ink. It's, why did the European Union develop their headquarters to literally look like the classical depiction of the Tower of Babel? And they also are unifying um, <laughs> with a very atheistic style government, right? So it's pretty much the Europe's version of the United Nations, basically. But let's jump in. We already looked at, um, well, let me go back and show the title image real quick. We already looked at last last episode so that's going to be part 10 we looked at collectivistic authoritarianism and then we also looked at warfare and about how those two concepts are perpetually used in order to control people it's like the those are the uh, in my opinion the top two ways that they try to control cultures and nations and people um, through philosophical indoctrination to get them to reject god out of their own courage to think they're doing well and then through warfare they bring in subjugation because they create lack, poverty, necessity, despair. Um, they also create dichotomies by which people can fight. So there's different types of warfare. A lot of people would say that we're actually engaged in what's called fourth generational warfare right now, which is not exactly a warfare that's that's necessarily uh, perpetrated by the, the firing of cannons or tanks or guns, but it's done through social media. It's done through the information warfares. But this week, we're going to be looking at sorcery, child sacrifice, and weather control, and how that is played out into their schemes, their machinations that they try to impose upon the people across the earth uh, to get people to stop believing in the Creator, to stop having hope for what the Creator says we should hope in. And that's, if you steal someone's hope, you've taken their, their energy, basically. Um, genetic sorcery, made into a different image. So 
we're going to be looking at how they mixing species and changing orders together. Now, many of you guys, you know, if, if it's your first time watching, be sure to like, share, and subscribe. But if you've been with us for quite some time, we've covered a couple of these verses before, but hopefully, as you see, as it all comes together, it hopefully it'll be that much more pertinent. So in First Enoch 7, 1 through 6, it talks about all the others together with him. This is the rebellious angels. This is angels that, according to Jubilees, they were commissioned to come down and help mankind. But while they were down here, they fell into their own temptation and decided to do some things against their commission, against their orders for, for coming down to the earth plane. And instead, they took some matters into their own hands and, and became rebellious. And it says, all the others together with them took unto themselves wives and each chose for himself. And they began to go into them and to defile them. Uh, to defile themselves with them. And they taught them charms and enchantments and the cutting of roots and made them acquainted with plants. And they became pregnant and they bare great giants whose height was 3000 L's who consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. And they began to sin against birds and beasts and reptiles and fish and to devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. Then the earth laid accusation against the lawless ones. So there's a couple things I want to point out here. Two, uh, well, the first thing I'd like to say is if, if you're just jumping into the middle of this series, we're, again, we're in part 11. So go back to part three. I do an entire episode on the Nephilim and the giants. So I think you'll really enjoy that. We look at history. We look at, you know, all the different mentions and things like, well, not all of them, but lots of different mentions throughout history of this concept. So as we're kind of prefacing with these, some of these same verses again in this one, because we're building, we're going to be leading to something. I just want to point out here, there's two concepts here. Um, the genetic manipulation of the cutting of roots and becoming acquainted with plants, as I talked about in episode three or part three, I should say, um, this is literally a part of gene splicing. This is manipulating the, the growth hormones inside the roots of trees and plants. And I, I go over that in great depth in, the, in that part. So in part three, go check that out. But then also at the bottom there, it says they begin to sin against the birds, the beasts, the reptiles, the fish, and to devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. Now, guys, this is not saying they suddenly became meat eaters. All right. I've tried to show emphatically multiple podcasts in the past. I uh, did two different podcasts on veganism and I go through the scriptures and I show you that it, mankind, that's Adam himself, as well as the angels have been eating meat since day one of creation, because it's literally a part of how the creation was designed. It's a part of the eternal feasts that are kept in heaven and instructed for men to practice on the earth. And this is, it's just a part of how everything was designed. This is talking differently. This is talking about a version of cannibalism that you do with um, actual occult rituals. This is why it includes, and they drank the blood, okay? Because this isn't just about them becoming, you know, meat eaters. They were already meat eaters. Everyone was already carnivorous since creation began. This is a cult ritual that it's mentioning. And then the earth laid accusation against the lawless ones. I think this is interesting because it, way back in the days of Enoch, we're, here, we're seeing an eternal Torah principle that the Father's creation, everything that he made, is supposed to work with our behavior. So when our behavior is out of line, that creation will buck back against us. Just like I can't remember the exact. Um, oh, man, I can't remember this. It's in the book of Sirach, I believe. I want to say it's like Sirach uh, 43.5. But there's a... Um, it just talks about how the creation will relax on behalf of those who are doing the behavior of God, doing the commandments, the righteous people, but it, it actually will kick against those who are unrighteous. So that's kind of what we're, that same principle, that eternal Torah principle that the father built into creation. We're seeing that being mentioned here in first Enoch seven, verse six. So we go into, to, um, Oh, by the way, guys, I, I, I put this in here again. This is, this is just another example of, I mentioned this last Thursday. I forgot that I put these in here. So I mentioned this last Thursday and we had an overwhelmingly positive response to uh, me possibly putting together a contextual study guide of scripture 
to where, you know, it's based off the themes that I have on our, on our logo, right? For our channel, the context themes that we always talk about, right? So we got things like the Nephilim, which is what we're looking at here on screen. This is what's being highlighted in this piece of context in First Enoch 7. It's their origins of where did the Nephilim, which are the sons of these rebellious angels taking wives, where did they come from? Well, it's telling us here in First Enoch 7. Also, as you see the parallel verses at the bottom, it's also in uh, Jubilees chapter 7, and then also Genesis 6. So this is our, this is just a little kind of how I study basically. And I decided just to put it on a, you know, organized, if you will, on paper. Um, and I'm going to try to, you know, do the entire book of Enoch, um, do, do the entire Bible and, and a bunch of apocryphal books as well. So um, including Jubilees, and it's just going to take me some time, but it looks like people are really desiring. They think that's a good idea. They think they, that it's a good way to learn. As you can see on the left-hand side, I've got the the context box because the Nephilim is actually one of the branches on our context tree for Kingdom of Context. So that's why it's color-coded with you know the highlighted text. And then, of course, on the right-hand side from my previous video, I made uh, 10 easy ways to find context. And I put those little bubbles inside the actual text just to give you more clues on uh, if you're struggling with a sentence or a word, you know, what possible... Um, strategy of finding context uh which you might want to use first and then of course parallel verses at the bottom so that's that's uh how i got those set up so yeah you're going to be hearing more about that in the weeks ahead um so I, I really i'm you know it's encouraging to see everyone thinks this would be a good idea uh, let me go here to uh jubilee 7 21-24 so it says for owing to these three things came the flood upon the earth namely owing to the fornication wherein the watchers against the law of the ordinances went whoring after the daughters of men, took themselves wives of all which they chose, and they made the beginning of uncleanness. What does that mean? That is the unclean spirits. That's the children they had. That is, that's why they're called unclean spirits. After they lose their bodies in the flood, the spirits that are left, which are the disembodied spirits of these children, this of this, of this hybrid union of this marriage, they're called unclean spirits. And then it says they beget sons, the Nephilim. That's just a Greek transliteration for the Nephilim. And they were all unlike. They devoured one another. They, the giants slew the Nephil, the Nephil slew the Eldro, and the Eldro slew mankind. And then mankind slew one another. And everyone sold himself to work iniquity and to shed much blood. And the earth was filled with iniquity. After this, they sinned against the birds and the beasts and all that moves and walks on the earth, which much blood was shed on the earth. And every imagination and desire of men imagined vanity and evil continually. So this is a mixture of what we read in, in Enoch as well as Genesis 6, Jubilee 7, kind of like gives you all those elements together of these descriptions of, of Enoch 7 and, and Genesis 6. So this is why we have in Genesis 6 the same type of description here in verses 4 and 5. It says, There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bore them children, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And, the, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Then on down in verses 11 and 12, it says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. So this is why I would I would I drew out from first Enoch 7, 6, where it says the earth laid accusation against the lawless ones. This is why I, I took a moment to focus on that for you to, to pay attention to, because that's also what we're seeing in Genesis 6, 12. It's the same concept that it's, it's like we see in, in uh, that famous the verse that, you know, we, we've taught in church, right? Which is, uh, I believe, it's Second Chronicles 7.14, that if you would turn from your wicked ways and seek my face, I would heal your land. The earth will spew out wickedness. It's not designed. Otherwise, it becomes corrupted and destroyed. So this is a part of natural judgment that's built into 
um, the, the creation model, right? You can't act unbecoming of, of where you were supposed to live. Like your behavior is supposed to match where you live. And if it doesn't match, you get spewed out. Adam and Eve, their behavior didn't match what was required of them or they were living in the special Garden of Eden environment. They were spewed out. So there's nowhere else to get spewed out <laughs> once you're on the earth plane. So therefore you just go to Sheol because you're going to die in some kind of some kind of disaster judgment of some sort. So this is what was going on. And this is why in first Enoch 85, you also see Moses, or excuse me, Noah. He's um, Noah is, has this incredible dream where the, you know, the, the earth is topographically is shifting like crazy. Huge parts are sunken down. Other parts are raising up. You know, this, they wonder why they see, um, they claim they see entire pyramid structures in the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico, which is almost, you know, it's really, really far down and there's no mountains anywhere around. Well, some people think that that part of the land used to be more up above sea level because they don't think there's no, there's no actual active use of an underground pyramid of any kind or a complex that's actually down there. So they think it's a place that had been sunken down over time. I would suggest hundred percent the flood of Noah, so there's places all across the world like that where you can see evidence of a mass flood. And so this is why the earth gets upset. It gets, it doesn't, it doesn't like uh, the way the father designed it. It doesn't work with unrighteous behavior. So this is where you get this feigned Gaia worship music, uh, Gaia worship, philosophical religious push from the enemy that wants to get people away from the creator, but worshiping the creation and you know they call it mother mother earth right mothership earth or gaia or whatever they want to call it because it's it's literally a perversion of this principle in scripture which is to do the behavior of the creator and the creation he made for you will work really really well for you even to the point of going to you know relaxing against some of its natural inclinations and orders for example letting yeshua walk on water so that's that's the the beautiful creation that he put us in it, if only we would do his behavior we can enjoy it a lot more so that's that's why it's it's our discipling it's our responsibility as as believers in the creator and his son and as disciples of yeshua that we try to practice that behavior of the father and the son better and better in our life and you know we enjoy life all that much more in a variety of ways so we'll keep going here um this is evidence all across the world of giants Here's just some imprint in a big rock. That's a big, big toe. Not the actual guys, but the imprint in the rock. That's a huge, big toe, as you can see there. Do you guys understand what makes a big imprint in rock like that? I would say it's because this rock actually was uh, going undergoing some serious change during the, the events of the flood. So it's interesting, huh? We also have um, underwater... Things all over the earth, they've been finding massive evidences of giants everywhere, of uh, weapons, swords, as you can see, like a huge knife right here. Um, they found all kinds of concepts in North America, even of copper shields that were fit for eight, nine foot giants. Um, and then, of course, the guy on the right, he is also looking at a, a unique stone that has a huge giant footprint in it the size of his body. These are just different things all across the earth where we can see these different ideas. So we go into genetic sorcery to the, to the aspect of eating and drinking blood. So this is where it gets really interesting because this is what was happening. Like I said, in, in first Enoch seven, that's being mentioned also in Jubilee seven 
This is the consistent practices throughout all of life. The moment that the, the idolatry set in with the Nephilim being born, and then those sons, the Nephilim, being propagated as little g-gods, as rulers over the people to be worshipped. And a part of their worship, which was not obviously, which was which was uh, antithetical to worshiping the Creator, to worshiping Yahweh, the the Nephilim before the flood required worship of themselves. They then, of course, instituted these practices of worship, which were basically the opposite of what Yahweh asked for. Some of that was eating and drinking blood, cannibalism of different types. So in Genesis nine four, after Noah gets off the boat, he and his son are given the command once again. Hey, by the way, only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood in it. Just as a basic reminder for you and your sons and daughters, Noah, can't we can't do this behavior that you know led to all this mass horrible stuff of the flood? You just got off the boat for a year. Um, oh yeah, here's another slide of just an example of you know how I study when I come to some of these topics. Where this is just Genesis, uh, Genesis nine, it's verses one through eleven, and um, and you just go into all the different. What I would say is there's Torah being taught through verses 1 through 6, and then the covenants are being expressed in verses 7 through 11. Then I got the explanation for those on the side over here. Uh, points of context, as hence layered throughout both the main passage as well as the, the cross-reference passages down below. So you can actually cross-reference things in Genesis 9 with Leviticus 11, Genesis 1, 29 and 30, also Jubilee 6, 16 and 17. So it's very interesting. And this is basically all helping people understand that uh, Noah did eat meat before the flood, even all the way back to Adam. Adam ate meat even upon his creation. And I explain that with these scriptures here. So, oops, sorry. Let's try this again. So Leviticus 19.26, Yahweh instructs them, don't eat anything with blood nor practice divination. That's enchantments. That's what we read in 1 Enoch 7. And he also says, uh, and also don't do soothsaying, which some translations would say, the, you know, looking at the orders of the stars, and different things, and you know, different types of soothsaying. So the same thing with Leviticus 19. I, I put these, put these, some of these in here, but just to give, I guess, people a, a little sneak peek idea of stuff I've worked on over time. So this is, this is one where you, it, in, inside these instructions of the Torah in Leviticus 19, 26 through 29 and 26 through 30, verse 31 there is a mention of Nephilim because that is what the familiar spirits or some translations say the unclean spirits. That's what the wizards and the witches would be consulting through the teraphim, through the idolatry, um, the, the mediums, the necromancers, that's who they're trying to contact. And so all of it is in the context of Nephilim. Acts fifteen twenty. This is the disciples expressing to Paul and Barnabas some instructions how to disciple new converts. And he says, uh, this is actually James speaking, where he says, but we, but that we write to them, that's the new converts, write to them that they abstain from things contained by idols and from fornication and from what strangled and from what and from blood. So guys, he's just listing off um, a whole bunch of Torah when he says that. It's four different places from Torah. Those are actual Torah commands. I have that here, as you can see, listed in um, Acts 15. I then have the supplementary verses for where those are found down below. And then also actually have a moment of agency because he actually sends Paul out to take this message to the non-converts under the authority of James, the leader of the disciples in Jerusalem. So just kind of go over to all the different ideas of the context tree. But guys, this is in modern times. We have Lady Gaga on the left and then right next to her, the lady in all black with the black hair as well as um, Mar Marina Abramovich. Abramovic, I think I'll tell you her name. So she's actually um, a self-proclaimed which 
Um, she actually is, you know, rubs shoulders, as you can see, literally, and elbows with uh, a lot of Hollywood elites, as well as a lot of uh, politicians, high profile politicians. And this is them at some particular party that was set up where they're not actually doing cannibalism, but they made it, they set it up to make it look like they were. So it was basically a ritual that they were doing and they invited a bunch of Hollywood guests to show up. And then of course people started taking pictures because it looked, it's just not normal. Right. And actually I had to black out at the bottom there, some of the nudity. So this is a model they have laying in a tub that's supposed to be looking like a tub full of blood so they can practice this ritual. And uh, so this is this woman. She's been uh, around for quite a long time. She's met with all types of high profile people. This is some of her poetry that she likes to put out to the world. Um, and literally, I'll let you read the poetry yourself because I don't want YouTube to flag this. But at the same time, the poetry is basically encouraging cannibalism. It's encouraging the drinking of blood. So this is this is what the occult does. This is what witches do. Yeah, Earl Rogers. It's called spirit cooking is the, the term I guess a lot of people might have heard about them acting like they're actually doing cannibalism. And you know what? I wouldn't actually put it past them if they actually were doing cannibalism and then just said they weren't, right? And then the media is not going to tell them because they're complicit in that kind of stuff. Depends on who's there taking the pictures. So this is a little example here. Obviously, she's all about abortion. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And uh, that's just, it's a huge component piece of the occult. And so these are other pictures associated with her on her profile and her website and different things like that. Um, she's actually been, she's met with all types of people across the world, including the Rothschilds and Bill Gates. She actually did a, a Microsoft ad, as you can see on the right-hand side, that's a picture from the specific ad that got a lot of backlash last year, back in like late spring, early summer, um, where people literally were like, this is crazy. How in the world, like they know who she is, the, the average public did. And they saw her doing this Microsoft ad and they're like, how in the world could Microsoft employ this lady? This is crazy. Uh, well, it's because the owner is definitely neck deep in all these practices. This is, <laughs> this is why this dude's a eugenicist whose father was a eugenicist. This is why um, this guy is a part of the depopulation crowd. It's just completely a you know, demonic agenda. Uh, here she is with one of the Rothschilds. And this is actually something because we're talking about the idea of um, eating and drinking blood, right? This idea of the occult practices of Babylon that are pushed upon the cultures and the people. Now, you know, history, the, the nation of India, India has a long history of this type of behavior. So this is a reporter in modern times. This has just happened like three or four months ago. A CNN reporter went over to India to do this story about this remote Hindu tribe that actually were cannibalistic tribes. And as you can see in the pictures during the interview on live TV, they coax this guy to actually eat human brain and he does it. And of course, CNN got backlash for that, but they don't care because they're being funded by people who've got plenty of money. They don't care about viewership funding or advertising money. And they're going to try to push this stuff on the people because they want that shock value and they want people to be exposed to this type of behavior so they can normalize it. As I tried to explain uh, several months ago when I did a, an episode about communism is the religion of Babylon. And I talked about a lady named Alistair, or Alice Bailey from the 1920s. She was one of part of the, the Lucius Trust. Uh, this is a, it's a council that is counseling the United Nations still to this day. She was a eugenicist also. And a part of that mentality and that mindset was what what she agreed with the uh, the book that was put out um, by the other eugenicist. I can't think of her name right now. My, my wife, if she's in the chat, she definitely remember her name. But it's called The Externalization of the, of the Hierarchy. So 
the hierarchy is the occult hierarchy of how they do these rituals and practices. And back in the early 20th century, there was a group of eugenicists that they, they said now in the 20th century and beyond, now is the time when we are going to externalize the hierarchy. Their, their plan over time systematically is to externalize all the stuff they've been doing for hundreds of years privately and underground. They're going to bring it out into the public so the public can be more readily accepted by the public. Basically, guys, there's nothing new under the sun. They're trying to get it back to being out done outdoors and in the open, just like we would read in the scriptures where they would have these festivals to Baal and Molech outdoors and in the open and where they practice all these same things. So this is a part of their agenda. Definitely. Um, oh, I forgot. One second, guys. Let me pull this up real quick. So you guys can... Uh, this up so we can it was too big of an article to put in just a, a graphic so i had to remind myself of the websites all right so here we go so this is a bbc guys we all know the bbc publication this is their online uh, news and this is talks about major cities around the world uh, let me make it bigger so people can see it all right. It says in major cities around the world, communities of ordinary people, nurses, bar staff, secretaries, etc., are drinking human blood on a regular basis. The question is why? In the French Quarter of New Orleans, John Edgar Browning is about to take part in a feeding. It begins as clinically as a medical procedure. His acquaintances first swab a small patch on Brown's upper back with alcohol. He then punctures it with a dis disposable hobby scalpel and squeezes until the blood starts flowing, lowering his lip to the wound. Brownie's associates now start lapping up the wine dark liquid. He drank it a few times, then clean and bandaged me, Browning says today. To Browning's bemusant, he was not quite he was not quite to his host tastes. He said my blood was not as metallic as it should have been, so he was a little disappointed. I'm not gonna read the rest of this guy. This is crazy, right? This is crazy stuff. Right? These is literally just vampiric style um uh special interest groups that are but this is not just in New Orleans, it's all around the world, right? Um so here we have part of this. He says, there are thousands of people doing this just in the U.S. alone. I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think it's a fad, says Browning. Their symptoms and behaviors are a genuine mystery. <gasps> it's a mystery. No, it's not. It's been going on since the Tower of Babel and way before that, actually. Um, so they, the so-called medical sanguinarians, sanguinarians, <laughs> it's hilarious, claim that the regular shots of blood relieve them of fatigue, headaches, and severe stomach pain. Lies. All right. It goes on to say, for many real life vampirism is a tattoo, excuse me, is a taboo. Over the last few decades, it's come to be associated with gruesome murders, such as the notorious case of Rod Farrell in the U.S., a deluded killer apparently inspired by a fantasy role playing game. When people talk about self identified vampires, a lot of people, a lot of times, these people imagine a lot of these horrible images come to mind, says Dr. D.J. Williams, a sociologist at Idaho State University. So the community has been closed and suspicious of outsiders. You don't think. How is this even legal? I don't, I don't even understand how it's even legal, to be honest with you. Um, you, know, they, you know, you guys can read it if you want. As far as the full thing, I'm just kind of hitting some of the highlights here just to show you that this is not this is not me just taking a couple pictures from some inflammatory celebrities who are having a crazy party and want to get in the news and, you know, and have some shocking photos like this is these are people that will never know their names that are going to clubs in different cities around the world privately practicing vampiric practices. And that word vampire has this modern connotation of stupid movies, right? But it's literally what we've been reading from First Enoch, the practices of the Nephilim. This is practices of the occult, practices of Babylon. So, yeah, it's 
pretty crazy, pretty crazy, y'all. Uh, he goes on to say, and yet the practices seem to have lived on among a small group of people. Before the age of the internet, they were largely isolated, but through dedicated web pages, they've now forged thriving underground networks. And from what we can tell, most major cities across the world seem to have a vampire community. It's crazy, guys. It's crazy. Um, yeah, there's no reason, there's no coincidence, in my opinion, why you have continual vampire movies and tv shows continually being created um yeah they claim it renews vitality which is just hilarious you, know, you actually get extra stress special diseases if you drink um drink blood you're not supposed to do it um i think that's i think that's all i mean you're getting the point i think that's all that i really wanted to get out of this um it's not cool not cool. It, yeah, it's an entire thing. It's an entire subcommunity. Again, because they feel it's okay. Clearly, no one is going in and arresting these people because these are well known enough for a reporter to actually interview them and do entire write-ups on them, which is just insane. Insane. So, yeah, that's happening all around the world. Zechariah 9-7. I'll take away his blood out of his mouth. This is Yahweh speaking to people during the days of Zechariah and Isaiah talking about the rebellious people in Israel who are practicing the practices of Babylon. Because remember, Israel, both through multiple kings, uh, specifically during the days of, of Isaiah, um, through Manasseh, they had went reprobate and they started doing the practices of Babylon, right? Which is worshiping the Baals, the Molechs, engaging in these behaviors we've been describing. And this is why there's immediately chaos in Israel and uh, Yahweh's not happy. So through the prophet Isaiah in, in chapter nine, verse seven, he says, I will take away his blood out of his mouth. And his abominations from between his teeth. That's him doing cannibalistic rituals. But he that remains, even he shall be for our Elohim, our God, and he shall be as a governor in Judah and Ekron as a Jebusite. You have to read the fuller context. It kind of, it's Yahweh, while he's saying, I'm going to bring judgment and punishment, I'm also going to have a remnant that's here as well. So just go ahead and read the full context later. But that was the idea of, of that part of the genetic sorcery, where there's people actually doing the practices of Baal, um, eating and drinking blood. Um, this is this is consistent, guys. We're seeing this same thing happen. I mean, literally off the boat, Noah's being told, don't do this behavior. And we're seeing it today, thousands of years later. Nothing's new under the sun. Genetic sorcery made a different image. Inoculations and vaccines. Oh, it gets worse. We're not done, guys. Did you guys know that inoculations is the original word before vaccines popped up? Inoculations are a little bit different concept than vaccines, but it's the same premise. It's the same underpinning uh, movement, if you will, which is literally mysticism it's it's literally witchcraft guys i'm just letting you know it's not even like <laughs> so i'll go ahead and read what's on screen here this is actually from um about ancient china and how they did inoculations so it says several accounts from the 1500s describe smallpox inoculations as practiced in china and india um this is uh the life and death of smallpox notes that in the late 1600s emperor Kangxi who had survived smallpox as a child, had his children inoculated. That method involved grinding up smallpox scabs and blowing the matter into the nostril. So I want you to think about what I just read, guys. Their version of inoculation was to take the scab that would be result. You guys, you know what that, I mean, that's, that is the, the unclean material. And then they're going to make it into a substance to actually make someone ingest it again. That is literally witchcraft like it's not even it's not even oh it could be feigned as medical science no no like that's just straight up 
let's let's take a scab and let's make a potion with it and make someone take it. Like that's that's witchcraft. Might as well throw in a hare and a frog. Inoculation may also have been practiced by scratching matter from a smallpox sore into the skin. What did God say in Leviticus 13 and 14 about those who develop scabs and they would be inspected by the priest and then they're quarantined for seven days and then they're, you know what I'm saying? So they could be healed, taken away from, instead of, they're literally taking the sick, taking their literal physical sicknesses on their skin and trying to spread them to other people. Like this is this is this ridiculous mentality we still see today in the in the uh, VAXX movement, right? Which is this this idea of that oh you <laughs> your shot doesn't work unless everyone around you has a shot. Guys, this is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battle we're talking about. So, as you can see at the bottom here, it says it is difficult to pinpoint when the practices began as some sources claim dates as early as 200 BCE. And guys, I'm going to tell you, that's probably much, much later than it really happened. Because like I said, we're, we're literally talking about wizards, like we read from the, the, the previous passage in Leviticus 19, wizards and warlocks and witches and people that are practicing the occult, right? In 1 Samuel, um, we see that Saul goes to the witch of Endor. They, their practices were well known. It's Babylon, right? The priest of Babylon, may as well just call him a wizard. They're the same thing. Same thing for the priests of Egypt, the priest of, uh, of Greece as, as a part of the Apollyon cult. Same thing for the Osiris cult, those priests, all doing the same same practices. You guys, I, I don't have the, the information um, on screen, but some of you may have already seen people that have already done um, in-depth breakdowns of, of well-documented historical Egyptian information about some of their medical practices. And it's the most unclean thing you can imagine. They're literally like, let's get your poop and let's figure out creative ways to do, to put my poop on you. Like, it's just, it's just literally the perverseness and the, the reverseness of logic and health. It's everything away from Yahweh. And instead, this is what they're claiming medicine in the occult. Why? Because the whole point is to kill you. And they got to convince you to do these things so that you kill yourself so they can avoid immediate judgment. So this is the deception of, of the occult. So in the 18th century, inoculation was a practice largely confined to China and India and Turkey and other Eastern countries, um, except for when this lady in England, she claims, uh, or history claims that Lady Mary Montague was an aristocrat and a wife of England's ambassador to Turkey. She's credited as being the first to bring attention to the practice in the Western world. And she quotes saying that the smallpox was so fatal and so general among us, that is in Turkey, where she lived, entirely harmless by the invention of inoculation. She's claiming that once we started inoculating people, then smallpox almost went away. Montague wrote to a friend. I, by the way, guys, I would challenge anyone who actually believes these narratives to also look at, the, at as they claim inoculations, which leads into the VAXXs, that they claim that that has caused diseases to go away. Do a historical search as far as our um, cleanliness habits, as far as our, our social gen, um, our social, um, I can't think of the word right now, how our um, sewage has gotten better, our sewage systems during that same period of time, how our cleanliness habits as far as individuals and families and uh, the general understanding of remaining clean at different times and how that has increased throughout all these cultures at the very same time. Meanwhile, they're claiming it's due to these this nonsense, this witchcraft. This is what the enemy does. It wants to take credit for something that's, you know, when the father is trying to give to the to the cultures and the nations how to become clean, how to remain clean to the point where you avoid sickness. Yeah, they're just like, no, rub some rub some scab on you. Um, 
it says, and then she quotes this lady from the 18th century in Turkey, this English woman quotes that there is a set of old women who make it their business. Think about this for a minute. They make it their business to perform the operation every autumn, the operation of what to go around and inoculate all the kids for smallpox. These are not hired nurses by the state of Turkey or by the, the imam or whoever ruled Turkey at that time. There, this is not this is this is not a government idea. This is three old women who've made it their business to perform the operation every autumn. And the old women come with a nutshell full of the matter of the best sort of smallpox and ask what veins you please to have opened. This is crazy. Like, I mean, of course, this is the 18th century. So we're talking about the 1700s, uh, the same time period where it was common practice for bloodletting. Another ridiculously occultic practice that they claimed was actual medicine. Right. Think about I mean, it's supposedly that's what George Washington died. Right. He got sick. They did some bloodletting and he bled out too much. They called that medicine. These are occult practices. Now, I don't want to go into the great the great discussion on whether George Washington was a believer or not. Or I mean, <laughs> all I want to say is, guys, this this is the same stuff we see today. They're taking witchcraft, they package it, and then they promote it as this is good for you. This is healthy. This is medicine. This is accepted science. You should believe us. Oh, yeah, we, of course you want to change your DNA so you can't get sick anymore, but nothing's going to go wrong with you. You'll be fine. Yeah, because, you know, this is science do no harm except for the point where you harm people with your unnatural science which is against actual nature and try to change someone's natural god-given healthy born dna to something else oh you don't want to take it that's fine you can do that until we decide that you can't buy sell or work or do anything or travel go across state lines to you know unless you unless you're safe like us and accept the medical science which we tell you is no, it hasn't been tested. No, it hasn't been approved by any regulatory agency. No, it hasn't had any kind of independent verification on whether it actually works or has any long-term studies. But, you know, we created it, so we need you to take it because it's good for you. This is healthy. This is, I mean, they'll literally stare you in the eye and look at you and say they've been doing it for about 12 months now. This is the occult, guys. This is what you're dealing with. You're not just dealing with a confused politician. You're dealing with huge forces ruled by unclean spirits that rule over the nations that are pushing the propaganda through the mouths of the puppets. And I know that sounds a little jaded, but show me, show me someone that has in a position of power that is, has the, the consciousness to stand up against this type of literal and obvious witchcraft. It's not even like, it's not even hidden very well, to be honest with you. So we're going to keep going a little further. <laughs> yeah. Someone said, be careful. We get, I get the channel taken down. Yeah. Hey, um, this is, I'm just going to tell the truth to you guys. So this is vaccines contain aborted fetal tissue. Do they? Yes, they do. Let me make it. I can't make it bigger. I thought it was bigger, but so basically, um, this is a you know medically reviewed by a doctor, Jonathan Jesse. Uh, this is from January 26th of this year. This is just a month ago. And uh, this is a part of verywellhealth.com where they literally acknowledge to you that, yes, modern, modern vaccines do have aborted fetal cell tissues. And it's in these particular vaccines of hepatitis A, rabies, rubella, shingles, and varicella, which is the chickenpox vaccine. Yeah. So you want to also, inst now you, instead of just putting scabs inside you, how about you're going to put another human DNA inside you from an aborted aborted uh, baby. It's horrible. This is 
literally the same as them. This is just a more, this is a more white coat sterilized version of what they would do back in the day with Bill, where they would, and we're actually going to, I'm actually going to show you the tools of abortion in a few minutes from ancient Rome. They've actually found in archeological digs, the actual tools that they practiced abortion in Rome. And so what they would do as they were sitting at the temple in Rome to Zeus or Jupiter or Apollo, and they would do an abortion, part of the occultic ritual, and they would practice cannibalism with, with the child. So it's horrible guys. This is just, this is horrible. This is why James in the very, like the, you know, Paul and Barnabas has come to James and Peter and the other disciples in Jerusalem and they're asked, they're in this argument about circumcision, right? And he's like, hey, okay, well, they'll get to the circumcision. The first thing they need to stop doing is these four things, which are the occult rituals, right? Then you stop the fornication that took place at the bell worship. Then you stop the eating and drinking of blood. Then you need to stop the, thing, the eating things that are strangled. Then you, all these things, this this was the bell worship. These are the main things. If they say they profess Christ and believe in Yeshua and want to be grafted into Israel and want to start doing the law of God, well, they, these are the four first most highlighted, most prominent laws of God they need to start practicing immediately to get away from Babylon's practices. And we can deal with circumcision later. Like this, this is a huge, you know, this is the turn. This is the, this is the immediate obvious sign in your life that you're not worshiping the bells and you want to worship Yahweh. Uh, yeah, D love, we're going to go over the MRC five. And I mean, there's, I, I, there's probably people in the audience that may have, uh, a lot more knowledge on this topic than me. Um, because I, you know, I'm against getting any kind of nice, I still have damage. Uh, it's superficial, but I was partially paralyzed for a little while when I got an immunization shot when I was a kid. Now I have this scar on my arm as a result of it. And so I'm never going to get that again in my life. And, um, and I would encourage anyone within the sound of my voice to look up the research on this and never get one for yourself either. Um, so hopefully what I'm saying tonight is showing you also a case from history and scripture that it's it's not cool. It's evil. So if we're going to go on here to there's also uh, cow. There's bovine material used in vaccines. And this is literally stated FDA.gov. This is from the website. And it goes on to say that the literally bovine animal products are in max and vaccines it's a part of the tissue the growth that they use as far as, as well as the um what's it called the um i'm gonna get to it in just a minute i can't remember the name of it but it's a, a specific word that they use so the, also webmd claims that big viruses are found in the rotavirus vaccine so now we have human dna human human uh cannibalistic concepts you have to have uh animals both cow and and pig that are going to be put into vaccines. And they're openly admitting it, guys. This is from 2010, March 22nd, openly admitting it, not even not even trying to hide it. Guys, this is actually the vaccine excipient <laughs> summary. This is from cdc.gov, okay? So this is from the CDC website. This is a list of, of the, uh, since 2019, or I think 2018 to 2020, of the most... Uh, most well used, if you will, the most commonly used vaccines across the country. And this is a, a list of them here. And I just kind of show you, I didn't, you know, there's small writing. So that's why I, I put on the left-hand side, just try to highlight some of the extremely toxic things um, that are in some of these. This is stated on their website. This is anyone can find this information. Okay. Now actually, let me take the uh, overlay off so you guys can see a little bit more of this if you need to. Formaldehyde is in a ton of these. 
I just want to show you just in the yellow, just on this page, we're going to have five pages to go through. I'll do it quickly, but just to show you that formaldehyde is in a lot of them. I'm not going to focus on the formaldehyde as much as I am the, the human and animal by uh, concepts, but just to let you know, this is an embalming fluid that's in there. Human animal albumin. albumin. It's the most abundant plasma protein formed principally in the liver and constituting up to two thirds, up to 62%, six to 8% protein concentration in the plasma. Albumin is responsible for much of the colloidal osmotic pressure of the blood. Guys, this is literally one of the component pieces of blood. What you guys think about what I just read. When you see this word, albumin, in vaccines, it's literally one of the component pieces of blood. It's, it's, not, it's one thing to say, oh, you, why are you putting blood in a vaccine? No, no, they've stripped the blood apart and put one of its mechanisms inside the blood to use that because it, it helps carry things. So it's, they're not just giving you the random blood. They're giving you specifically the most potent part of the blood. <laughs> ah, it's horrible, guys. And, of course, I try to highlight on page two of their just how much of that in there. It's in the pink. And then, of course, we also look at in the blue is aborted human fetal cells as well as animal cells, um, including, you know, the, the MRC5 strain, which is it's a diploid cell culture line composed of fibroblasts originally developed from the lung tissue of a 14-week-old aborted Caucasian male fetus. And I think this was from like 30 years ago. But they're still using some of this, this cell line um, to create, as you can see, and put in multiple vaccines as well as uh, human and animal. That's why at the top here on the right I have, it's not just animal on the top right. It's hard to see it, but this is bovine up there at the top. And this is bovine serum albumin. So that's both human and animal mixed in, in the pink. And then of course, aborted cells of animals and humans in the blue. Now look at this, this is page four. And these are all the more, you know, prevalent vaccines for the flu and, uh, and different types of stuff that, you know, the yellow fever and typhoid and smallpox and rabies and rotavirus and, and polio and like MMRVs. And like, this is, yeah. These are in the most prevalently used vaccines. You've got uh, witchcraft, straight up witchcraft. And then of course, shingles. Shingles also has aborted human and animal fetal tissues. Everyone's sick yet? Yeah? You guys remember that passage? I think it's in Mark. I think it's in Mark 16 where uh, Yeshua says to the disciples, I know there's a lot of contesting about whether this was a part of the original manuscript or not, but there's a, there's a unique spot where Yeshua tells the disciples, you know, you know, in my name, you'll be go out and heal the sick and uh, you'll be able to go and um, drink poisons and them not affect you. And I, I always wondered if like, that's, is that the Holy spirit working on my behalf? And I don't know it. You know, to the point when I, I got these poisons put in me when I was a kid and my arm goes partially numb for, you know, temporarily, obviously it came back, uh, but it was, I was temporarily paralyzed for a short amount of time in my right side of my body, my, my upper chest area, of my arm. Um, it left a scarring, um, like a blood scarring on the top of my arm, but you can't see, you see it really well in the summertime and if I get any sun on my skin, but like that was poison that went in my body. My body tried to reject it, didn't do well with it. Is that the Holy Spirit helping me? <laughs> All this other time, like the stuff we eat in our diet and our food, you know, that I know there's a lot of people that that do get sick um, because they're, you know, they're being poisoned from a variety of different ways. And so I just wonder sometimes if that's like how much, and I'll, I'll just ask the Father when I get to 
get there later, but I was, how much did he help me through his spirit for caring and look after me and the internal workings of my body, fighting off poisons in this world that are, you know, trying to be given to me by the, by the enemy. And it's just crazy to think about. This is why I always have said over myself, like people would ask me if, you know, if you can know the date of your death, would you want to know it? And I'd be like, now, nah, you know, I don't care because I've been praying Acts 23 over myself for a long, long time, which is, I think it's Acts 23. It's uh, that, that, that David, until he completed his purpose in his generation, um, David lived, but then, you know, once he completed his purpose, then he, then he slept, you know, and joined his fathers in Sheol. He died. Um, and so that's what I've prayed over my life since I became a believer. And I read that verse and I was like, yeah, to me, that was just logical. I was like, all right, father, look, I, you know, I'm not going to ask to live till I'm 85, you know, but I will say, I want to, you know, I want to be here as long as you want me to be here and I want to be working for you. So whatever that looks like, if I got to be 120 with Moses, like Moses with no, no bad eyesight and, and still got my strength, I'm good with that. But if you need to take me at some other time, because my purpose and my generation has been fulfilled, that's my prayer. So if you got to keep me from being poisoned along the way, even if I don't know it, then I'm just going to trust that you are looking out for me because you're a good, good father. So that's, that's been my disposition like for a long time, I guess. Genetic sorcery, transhumanism. Just in case a lot of people are not aware of this topic, this is a growing topic in the world, not just the United States, but in the world. Transhumanism is a philosophical movement, the proponents of which advocate the enhancement of the human condition by developing and making widely available sophisticated technologies able to greatly enhance longevity, mood, and cognitive abilities. Transhumanists, thinkers, study the potential benefits and dangers of emerging technologies that could overcome fundamental human limitations, as well as the ethical limitations of using such technologies. Some transhumanists believe that human beings may eventually be able to transform themselves into beings with abilities so greatly expanded from their current condition as to merit the label of post-human beings. And I promise you guys, all this is fueled by all the modern comic book movies and all, I mean, comic books for the last 40, 50 years. But this movement, this, philo this philosophy, that's why it's, it's a philosophical movement. Because there's very little science that would back up what they hoped. I mean, I take this back. There's science that allows them to get to these points. I mean, this we're, we're talking about chimeras, hybridization, changing the... I mean, we read about this in First Enoch 7, Jubilee 6, Genesis 6, but... The goal, the philosophy of where they're trying to go, the end goal of their of their scientific efforts is the part of the philosophy of the movement, which is they think they can become post-human better than human, that they, they can mix and give themselves extra abilities, right? The, the sight of a dog, the hearing of a, of a dog, the sight of an eagle, um, you know, the, the, the muscle tendons of a horse, right? So you could be able to run three times as fast or something ridiculous, right? So they they want to do this they they've been doing this and small levels i mean literally they are we back are we back guys i don't know it just it's just been kicking me off hey guys we'll see if it if it keeps me on it keeps kicking me out but we'll see if it lets me continue 
Um, so I'm introducing the idea. I mean, many of you already know about what transhumanism is, but I'm introducing the idea of this is a serious effort from major heads of states, uh, technology companies, um, think tanks, um, scientific uh, based genetic splicing companies. I mean, high powered profile people all across the world, wealthy elites. They believe that this is the future. All it is is the past. It's just the Nephilim of the past with the mixed chimeras and the mixing of species, a different type of Nephilim than just a giant. It's a mixture of species. So it's it's the same concept. It's just it's the the uh, basically humanity being tricked with the same trick that they were before the flood, and it's just part of the occult. It's to uh, mix the species together. So this guy, what's unique about it? A lot of people have heard of transhumanism. I've talked about it on the channel a few times previously. This particular guy, though, this Ray Kurzweil, he's one of the main proponents of transhumanism to the degree where he's one of the main uh, researchers and, and pushers of what's called AI, artificial intelligence, is specifically in the, under the guise of trying to find the singularity. And what's unique about this, guys, stick with us. Thanks for being patient, guys, if, if for, for a while the, uh, the broadcast kicked me out for a while. Um, but what's unique about this is that... Um, Look at the wording that I have on screen here. All right. I'm going to read this for you real quick. And then we're going to go over some scriptures because this is crazy. So his efforts for artificial intelligence is to reach a point of singularity where you can mix. The artificial intelligence is so completely intelligent. It can replicate itself as well as being perfectly mixed with mankind. It says the biological system is a natural form of technology. All right, let me let me read the title of the article. It's the singularity, the state of being singular, oneness. The biological system is a natural form of technology. A simple examination of the nanobiology of the mac macro molecular system of any cell will attest to this. Enzymes and structural proteins are veritable nanomachines, linked to the information processing network of DNA and plasma membranes. Right, so he's he's giving you metaphor right now as far as how the internal body works compared to. Uh, computer terms. Far from being a primordial or rudimentary organic technology, we're discovering more and more the level of complexity and paragon technological sophistication of living systems. Yeah, you don't think? The creator's pretty smart, isn't he? Which is, as is being discovered, even includes non-trivial quantum mechanical phenomenon once thought to only be possible in the highly specialized and controlled environment of a laboratory. And that quantum mechanical phenomenon is not only your RNA running at 200 million times a minute across your DNA to, to weed out problems, but it's also how your brain functions and the, the synapses in your brains are firing so fast. We have quantum computers basically in our heads. It's, it's uh, literally what their goal is to create a, a computer that can think that fast. And I, I think they've done it, but um, what their, their goal is that they can get it to actually creatively think to problem solve in a way where it can become actually considered sentient. That's what artificial intelligence is striving to do. So um, it goes, it says uh, reciprocally soon our technologies will become living systems, particularly through nanotechnology, which is being accomplished through reverse engineering and hybrid hybridization with biomolecules there's that word, guys, particularly DNA. Hybridization, this means changing your DNA. It's exactly what we read from 1st Enoch 7, Jubilee 6, and Genesis 6. Is changing your DNA, and our general artificial intelligence is machine sentience. Following this parallelization of biology with technology, we can examine how humanity as a technological superorganism is undergoing a period of punctuated speciation and evolutionary transformation of both our inner and outer world. 
Humanity possesses a unique characteristic amongst our co-inhabitors of planet Earth. There's a bunch of lies in one sentence. And that we utilize technologies to record and transmit information to progeny beyond what's naturally transmitted by the molecular genome. He's just basically saying we can write books and pass information on to our kids instead of just our, our bodies heretically passing it on, hereditarily passing it on through genetics. Last paragraph, he says, in his book, The Singularity is Near, futurist Ray Kurzweil examines how the geometric exponential increase in human collective knowledge, as well as the emergence of strong artificial intelligence and advanced nanotechnological capabilities is seemingly leading to an inevitable point of fundamentally transforming the human species. The Kurzweilian singularity being nothing short of a form of technological transcendence beyond the putative limitations of the biological systems. Those those putative limitations, which he just said was incredibly complex, even to the point of having a quantum mechanical processing. <laughs> it's hilarious, the contradiction there. But anyway, the point is, this is their mindset, guys. Their definition of a singularity is merging man with machine perfectly and also having AI to the point where it can replicate itself. We're not talking quite Terminator at this point, but that, I mean, yeah, some people are scared that it would go that direction. But let's look at what the father calls oneness and singleness. Because the father has something to say on this topic. Did you guys know that? We're going to look at it here. Let me, let me actually read this first. I forgot I had this slide in here um, because this is to let you know what the military is doing with this idea. And then we're going to jump to some scriptures real quick. So this is from the AI Singularity and Growing Risk of Surprise. That's always a not a good title. Lessons from the IDF, that's the Israeli Defense Forces, Strategic and Operational Learning Processes. This is written by Mir Finkel, and it was published in the National Defense University Press. The article, a piece of the article says, there's no doubt that AI will have an influence on war and therefore on how military organizations develop in order to utilize AI and negate its use by adversaries. It may be that due to differences in military cultures and norms, non-Western militaries will have fewer constraints in weaponizing and employing such emerging technologies. Rapid learning cycles, both of force design, operational concepts, and wartime lessons will be of great benefit to military organizations that want to thrive in an AI-dominated environment, especially if they lag in the introduction of AI. Although based on its unique civilian and military culture, the practices that the IDF developed in recent years in the, defense, in the field of learning mechanisms to better engage its rapidly transforming adversaries may aid other militaries in thinking about the necessary changes to better prepare for the day AI singularity is achieved. Some of these chances may be at the very heart of military culture. So not only are they worried that it, it could get out of hand, but they want to figure out how to interact with it. Jeremiah 32 and 39. You guys didn't know that the father talked about singularity, did he? Obviously, we know that Yeshua claimed he's one with the father. What kind of oneness are we talking about? No, it's not Trinitarianism, guys. Kick, kick the Catholic doctrines to the curb, man. Look up the definitions of these words. It's to be one united in heart and purpose. We can see that definition all throughout the Old Testament. Jeremiah 32, 39. And I will give them one heart in one way. Some translations say singleness. That they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. Well, what is the way that he would give us? What is this heart that he would give us? A circumcised heart that does his ways, his commandments, his Torah. This is what he promises us in Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 5 through 9. Also in Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37. He's going to give us his, his laws, his statutes, he's going to put them in our hearts. 
This is the way that he gives us. This is his way and his heart. This is oneness. He offers the Father's version of oneness that leads to peace on earth. The, the world's version of oneness leads to fear, paranoia, suspicion, merging yourself with a machine, <laughs> and more than likely mass genocide and warfare. The Father's version of oneness and singleness leads to love, peace on earth, and having a good time with your creator. He goes on his further further examples. Second Chronicles 30, verse 12. Hezekiah is praying over the people at Passover, and he prays, Also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart, that singleness, to do the commandment of the king and of the princess by the word of the Lord. This is just a part of his prayer. Or it's just a part of the, the lead up to what's going on at the Passover of Hezekiah's day. The Father gave them the right heart, that circumcised heart, to want to come and do Passover. And they all did it in peace. In fact, they had a they celebrated seven extra days, which is like a revival. Isn't that amazing? Acts chapter 4, 32 and 33. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. This is singleness, guys. This is the singularity that we should shoot for. And there's no artificial intelligence. We just want the original intelligence of our Father. It says, Neither said any of them that were out of the things which possessed was his own, but they had all things in common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace, great grace was upon them. And a lot of people may be asking me, Sean, wait a minute. They said they shared all their possessions, they have everything in common. That sounds like communism. No, communism makes you do it at gunpoint. These people willingly did it out of their own decision. They could have not done it. Big difference. This is willfulness. This is singleness of heart and mind. Abiding in the Torah with family. Communism puts you at gunpoint and says, don't believe in God and make and let me rule your life. I want to take your possessions and give them to other people until everyone doesn't have enough of anything. Just in case you're confused about what you just read. Testament of Simeon from the Testament of Twelve Patriarchs, chapter 4, verse 5, also talks about this. He says, beware, therefore, my children, of all jealousy and envy. That creates war, right? So instead of that behavior, walk in singleness of soul. And with good heart, keeping in mind Joseph, your father's brother, that God may give you also grace and glory and blessing upon your heads, even as you saw in Joseph's case. How beautiful. That's so beautiful. This is Simeon. You don't hear a lot from Simeon, do you? Let's go back. Sorry, I hit the button wrong. You don't hear a lot from Simeon, right? We don't get a, we don't get a lot of his testimony in Genesis. He's got an entire testament, Testament 12 Patriarchs, and he's all about Torah. How beautiful, huh? Who would ever want to take that out of the scriptures? Only people that, that taught Torah was only given at Mount Sinai. That's who. So this is Simeon's testimony about, about this idea of singleness, just like Jeremiah, just like we see in Acts. How about Issachar, another son of Jacob? He's going to have a gate on the New Jerusalem. Do you guys know that? Or one of the foundation stones in one of the gates. Isn't that beautiful? This dude understood singleness as well. He says, keep therefore, chapter 5, verse 1 through 2, keep therefore my children the law of God and get singleness. Walk in guilelessness, so do not walk in deceit and, and wickedness. Instead, walk in singleness. And it says, do not play the busybody with the business of your neighbor, but love the Lord and your neighbor. Have compassion on the poor and the weak. Oh my gosh, this dude's speaking Leviticus 19, 17 and 18. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. And Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your strength and mind. This is singleness. This is the Father's version of oneness. To be united in heart and purpose. It means you have a circumcised heart and your actions are abiding in the behavior of the Father. How about the Testament of Asher? This brother had something to say as well. Chapter 6, verse 1, Take heed therefore, you also, my children, to the commandments of the Lord, following the truth with singleness of face. How beautiful. 
All right, guys, back to the bad guys. I'm sorry. We got to mix it up, right? We got to show you a little bit of the truth of the father and explain to you what's going on in this crazy world. This dude's a former Google and Uber engineer. who's a computer programmer. That's what the, all that means. And he registered a new church with the IRS whose stated goal is to develop and promote the realization of a Godhead based on artificial intelligence. This new religion, which anticipates advanced machines ruling over humanity as gods, has more support in the Silicon Valley community than many may think. And it lines up with one of the most stunning prophecies of the book of Revelation. Guys, this is Anthony Lewandowski. He's the founder of the Way of the Future Church. And he wants to spread the gospel, air quotes, of a coming computer god. Interesting. Revelation 13, 11 through 7. 11 through 17. I'll make this a little bit bigger for you. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the sea. He had two horns like a lamb. He spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he does great wonders. That's the second beast does great wonders, so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the first beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they, sh that they should make an image to the first beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power. The second beast had power to give life unto the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save that he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. A lot of people always love to ask me, Sean, what do you think about the mark of the beast? What what is it? Is it vaccines? Is it is it the chip? Is it keeping the Sabbath or not? And I don't know if you guys watched the, the roundtable we did with our brothers, Jared and Mikey and West Blaze um, about two, three weeks ago. But it was like four and a half hours. We talked about the mark of the beast. Go watch it if you haven't seen it. Um, but you'll hear me. Uh, I'm going to give you a one sentence summary is what I said for four and a half hours in that other video, which is um, essentially, guys, the mark of the beast doesn't show up until the second beast shows up. It's just that simple. So it's I don't think it's here yet because. The first beast hasn't showed up, so the second beast can't show up yet. Does that make any sense? That's why they're given these terms of secession. First beast shows up, then the second beast shows up. The second beast is the one that creates this mark and forces people to take it. He also, in the in the discussion and the topic of artificial intelligence, creates what I think is the application of the artificial intelligence, which is the he creates an image of the beast and gives life unto it. So then it can now speak and, and kill people if it wants to. And guys, to me personally, this is something I've seen in historical research in Egyptian literature where it talks about the eye of Ra. And I'm going to go into that in greater depth in future episodes, literally in the in the seven episodes of, of the future when we investigate Babylon as far as what's going to go on in the future. I'm going to go into this chapter in greater depth with historical parallels to the eye of Ra from ancient Egypt. So this, this is the second beast. That's all the timing. And it happens within 42 months of Yeshua returning. I don't think that we're there yet. I don't think we've seen the first beast come on the scene and he's not making war against the nations and the second beast isn't here either. So I don't think we're, I don't think we should go around just calling every new concept the mark of the beast. All right, guys. Um, 
And if you also want to go into who I think the first beast is, so you can have that point of context for that 42 months I just mentioned. Remember, the first beast has to show before the second beast shows up. I would suggest checking out part seven of this series, The King of Babylon. I go into all the scriptures. Great explanation on that. Um, hopefully it blesses you. Child sacrifice, making the love grow cold. You guys remember Yeshua promises us that in the end of days, the end of the age, that the love of many will go cold because of lawlessness. Why? Well, 100% child sacrifices, lawlessness, uh, smiting the ember in the womb. We're going to go over the scriptures here in a minute. Um, it's literally in Deuteronomy as well as in Enoch. And I'm going to give you historical uh, references to the biblical days where they literally spoke the words abortion. Um, but child sacrifice, guys, this has been practiced since the rebellious angels from before the flood, and it makes the love grow cold. If you're at an outdoor, open, public ritual where they're practicing bell worship, and they do the process that they would commonly do for this process to create the, the moment of drinking blood to which they use the children many occasion, then you're going to see something horrific. That's going to shock you. And that's going to, you have to make a choice at that point. You either have to fight against what you see and make them stop, create justice, or you have to let it persist and take part to the degree, I mean, I'm giving you a scenario. If you had, if you were, you know, grew up, you know, in the land of the Hittites back, you know, 3000 years ago, and this is the reality that you grew up around, you have to make a decision just like Abraham made a decision when he was 14, according to the book of Jubilees, when he was like, wow, he stopped worshiping the bells and wanted to worship the almighty Yahweh. So you either, and of course, doing the commandments is how your heart grows warm, right? How you can become not cold, but you become hot because you have the love of the commandments in your heart you're practicing the behavior of the creator but specifically as far as sheer uh trauma is this concept of that you see on the screen here and this will make the, the love go cruel this will make people die on the inside i've actually seen the effects through ignorance of this concept through abortion two different people previously in my life that I ran into two two different women that had gone through an abortion and regretted it later in their life to the point of literally crying on my shoulder because they were in so much pain still from, from that decision. It's horrific. It hurts people. They did. They were of course believed all the propaganda thought it was okay. But then after the process was over, they struggled like crazy. The natural feelings came and they, it, their faith struggled, which is their love their love for the Father, the Creator, their faith struggled as a result of it because now they didn't know how to deal with that trauma. To me, this is, uh, and I just want to be open about this with everyone watching, to me, this is this is my understanding of, of how horrific child sacrifice is in our modern version, which is what we call abortion today with sterilized clinics and accepted legally and accepted in the medical field. And everyone says, it's you know, people try to say it's okay and all that stuff. Uh, guys, it's a deception from the enemy, and it's literally the biggest and quickest way for your heart to grow cold and lose your faith. It's traumatic. It traumatizes the mind and the heart. Obviously, we all know about Planned Parenthood. I've actually done a video about Planned Parenthood. These two, the logo for the PP, it's designed specifically because it's the owls, it's the allies of Molech. Um, because they're doing the practices of Molek, and I have it's one of our most popular videos here on Kingdom of Context. Um, so you're welcome to check that out on our uh, popular videos on our, on our main channel page. Everyone knows about Planned Parenthood, but do we know how much that abortions are done all around the world through different countries? As you can see on the left hand side of this graph, China 
is leading the way with over 9 million abortions a year. The United States is over 1.3 million a year. And out of that total of 1.3, you have approximately 350,000 are done by specifically Planned Parenthood facilities in the United States. Uh, Russia comes in a close second it, it, uh, with the U.S. And then this blue here, that's the fourth little graph. It's hard to see, but this is actually International Planned Parenthood Federation. Guys, they have a federation. Why? Because this is the occult. This is literally their main staple of practice for the occult. This is a part of their allegiance to the Bales. They, they've got to kill the children. This is what they do. So not only do they have strong presences in the United States, but they literally are fourth in the world and entire world for abortions through their federation, like they're on their own little nation of baby killers. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone's interested in hiring a special elite group that wants to, well, maybe I shouldn't finish that sentence. It just, it makes me mad. How about we jump into history? The Republic is a book written by Plato. Approximately, uh, he lived during the time period of what we call the, the fourth century BC. And Plato argues that the ideal state governed by a philosopher kings. <laughs> you guys remember what the transhumanist movement was? It was a philosophical movement, right? Who was, who was the great purveyors of the occult during the days of Yeshua, the Greeks with their philosophy. It's very interesting. What what tricks Christians today? I don't know how many how many YouTube apologetics channels I've seen on, online today. They're all built around philosophy and they don't know a thing about the word, you know? And it's just like you're just so therefore they're just continuing to quote these these uh uh Greek philosophers or Latin philosophers from the days of early Rome, which became some of the early church fathers that pushed a whole bunch of propaganda that was outside of scripture. <laughs> I'm going too far with that. I should just stick with what I'm saying here. Plato argues that the ideal state governed by philosopher kings would make sure that women should be forced to have an abortion when the city state becomes too populous. You guys thought that overpopulation was a new concept? Do you guys not realize that's the language of the occult of Babylon? Depopulation, overpopulation. That's why, that's why China was so high on this list. They force abortions. They're literally doing the works of Plato from 2000 years, 2,400 years ago. It's the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun, guys. It's this We're battling the same bad guy throughout all of history, the same practices. Just like we need to learn the Father's ways, well, the Father's word explains to us the enemy's ways so that we cannot we expose the things of darkness rather than take part of them or let them be just happen, right? We need to expose them, bring attention to them, create a movement for change, pray against them. Right to the point where Father would keep our minds and our hearts away from it, as well as open the eyes of other people not participating in it. This is consistent practices all throughout history. It's the ways of Babylon. Depopulation is not a new concept. In the Dadachi, approximately first century AD, um, it's a, a collection of writings that's supposed to be attributed to the apostles, but it's been contested. Who knows? The point is. Who, no matter who wrote the Dadachi, they're right on about this. Okay, you should not murder a child by abortion or kill him when he's born. So this is their this is their mindset, literally with their verbiage from the first century AD, from the days of Yeshua, and the days of the apostles. 
This is what supposedly one of the instructions they would have been teaching to new converts during the first century AD. Do not murder a child by abortion, nor kill him when born. I just want to round up all those modern day pastors that, that are part of churches that claim that um, abortion is not killing a child. It's not a life yet. It's okay. I just want to be like, yeah, well, the people that, you know, your ancestors in the faith, if you had been in the first century, they would have said you're out of the faith. You're murdering people. You need to stop it. Or you're condoning murder. You need to be stripped of your position of pastor. Take that mic away from you. Take that fancy robe off you. And, you know, push you out in the back alley because you're not a believer. You're not a part of this congregation with that type of belief set. You're very confused and you're literally promoting occultic abortion and murder. So I, this is, it's consistent. We're going to keep going, guys. This is Josephus in the same time period, second century AD. This is law. The law, moreover, enjoins us to bring upon up all our offspring. Let me read that one more time. The law, moreover, enjoins us, which means commands us with fervency to bring up, to raise up all of our children. And it forbids wisdom to cause, excuse me, it forbids women to cause abortion of what is begotten or to destroy it afterward. You mean like post-birth abortion? Like it's literally a bill that was signed into law in New York City last year? They're talking about the same thing. Because why would they be talking about this that, that long ago? Both pre-birth and post-birth abortion concepts. Because it's the occult. This is what they would do. This Josephus may have actually been in the vicinity of watching one of these rituals happen. And if any woman appears to have done so, she will be a murderer of her child by destroying a living creature and diminishing mankind. Now, real quick, guys, at this point, I just just in case there's anyone in the audience that that has gone through this in the past because you were deceived and you didn't know any better, or maybe you did know better and you still made the decision, I just want to let you know that the Father can forgive you. Okay, we're, I've had anger in my heart to the point I should be called a murderer, right? According to Yeshua, because I've wanted to kill a man one time. This is this is the life we live. Sometimes it's really hard. So I just if there's anyone that, if there's any females if there's any women in the audience that has um, experienced this, my heart goes out to you. My prayers go to you that the Father would heal you of any pain that you may be enduring as a result of that, and know that you can be forgiven. His mercy is endless. Okay. So be encouraged, but we have to talk about this stuff tonight. And I have to go over these things because this is this. I just hopefully the people that are watching realize that this is the same enemy that we've been fighting this whole time. So this is Josephus explaining the same thing that if any woman appears to have done so, she will be considered a murderer of her child by destroying a living creature and diminishing mankind. First Enoch 69, this is where it began. When the rebellious angels showed up, took wives, had children, those children were called Nephilim, the beginning, the beginning of uncleanness. Those were the unclean spirits. And it goes into great depth. Uh, read the whole passage of chapter 69, but in this particular part, it explains where abortion came from. It says that it's literally one of these rebellious angels. His name was Kazdija. And it says, this is he who showed the children of men all the wicked smitings of spirits and demons and the smitings of the embryo in the womb that it may pass away. First Enoch 69, 12. That is crazy, guys. It's crazy. Paul, this is why we have our hope in, in the return of the Father. I agree with you. This world's insane. This world is horrible. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. 
And this is why the the message of the Bible, it, they try to squash that message at every turn. Every culture, throughout all of history, the enemy has tried to overtly and systematically, depends on the culture, squash the message of Scripture at every turn. Because our hope is in our returning Messiah, Prince of Peace, Prince of Love, the Son of God who walks in the character of the Father to the point where he's going to stop the wicked. They're going to be taken off the face of the earth. And he's going to set up peace on the earth to the point where we don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. How blessed, how blessed with the baby that's born, you know, five years after Yeshua returns. And, you know, it's a part of the humans that are outside the New Jerusalem repopulating at the beginning of the millennial reign. You know, how blessed that child will be to grow up in a, in a world where, you know, the wolf will lay down with the lamb and, you know, the, the baby can play near the adder's hole and not have to worry about, you know, beasts harming him and learning about the father's ways from, from you know, and watching all the civilization around him learn about the father's ways and, and seeing the, the resurrected saints as well as angels come out and interact with mankind and teach them the ways of the father, the ways of peace and love. And, you know, the, the power of the gospel of the kingdom as it flows out in your life because you're doing the behavior of the kingdom. And just what an amazing experience it would be for that child to grow up in that atmosphere, knowing he might live seven, eight hundred years. Like, it's just going to be amazing. It's going to be a world that we we can't we have our time fathoming. Right. Have our time even imagining how beautiful it's going to be. No more children will be aborted. It's going to be great. Guys, one of the big, um, a lot of people just like, uh, just like some of the other concepts I've mentioned uh, tonight. A lot of people may be going, "Man, Sean, are are you really trying to say that um, weather control is has always been a consistent practice of Babylon?" And I guess in case you missed it, I go check out part two where I go over the most powerful weapon in Babylon. We're going to talk about it a little bit more tonight because it has to do with some of this stuff. But yes, yeah, this is a big deal. And the father knows that this is, I'm going to show you some scriptures where the father tries to combat this idea, just like he has in the past. So it's going to be, it, and the whole purpose of, of Babylon using weather control, as, as I have here as a subtitle, is to organize dependency. That's the idea. You got to create a drought. You got to create a problem. You got to create a calamity so that you can have dependency. You can wipe out resources, starve out a country, starve out a nation. I mean, literally, it's part of Sun Tzu's art of war, right? Is to get to the enemy before you really get to the enemy. Now, Sun Tzu didn't claim to control the weather, but uh, stopping a dam and, and putting poison in the water source, whatever, stopping trade lines, supply rights. I mean, these are common practices of um, ancient warfare, especially when you're sieging a city. Well, What's better than even having this to encircle a city and cut off its supply route or its fresh water source when you can literally just destroy the city with weather? The father can do it. He did it with Egypt. He destroyed Egypt with weather, amongst other plagues, but that was some of the big, big plagues that destroyed other livestock and agriculture. Father even claims in multiple places in scripture um, that he has a storehouse of hail in the first layer of the firmament. That he's going to use on the day of the Lord when he returns to destroy a lot of the a lot of the wicked. He's going to use weather when he returns as well. So let's look here at some of the ways that Babylon does weather dependency in the modern times, right? In the present day. Many of you guys may have heard about HARP. 
This is um, in Alaska. This is what we're looking at here. Looks beautiful, but this is a whole bunch of set of antennas to do something very specific. And HARP is just an acronym that stands for High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I, you know, there's a there's a few government acronyms for different government programs or agencies that make sense. This one is just hilarious. Um, considering what I'm about to explain to you, what HARP does compared to their name, you know, literally think about like angels with a harp, the harp of God, that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's just blatant mockery in my opinion that they would. And of course the wording high frequency active oral research program, like you may as well just call it, you could, you could have given this a much shorter name. You've called it, called it CMP climate mitigation program, because that's all it does. Let's read about it. The high frequency active oral research program, also known as HARP, was initiated as an ionospheric research program jointly funded by the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Navy and the University of Alaska Fairbanks and the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, which is DARPA. It was designed and built by Bay Advanced Technologies. No, that's not your girlfriend. Its original purpose was to analyze the ionosphere and investigate the potential for developing ionospheric enhancement technology for radio communications and surveillance. As a university-owned facility, HARP is a high-power, high-frequency transmitter used for the study of the ionosphere. Guys, it was constructed in 1993, went live in 94, and it's been going ever since. they got multiple places around the world. I just gave you the whitewashed Wikipedia description of what this place is and this, this uh, government program. It shoots microbursts of microradiation into the air and these frequencies that displaces the clouds, that displaces, it creates plasma clouds within cloud fields in the air at different altitudes. I actually put it in one of my creation videos um, because they know that the ether, the the, the, the sky that we live in is, is, is full of plasma in the air. Um, the ionospheric talk that you're reading about here is a globular occultic globe model. That's why you know, I had the little intro at the beginning here that all the globe concepts that you see are just occult fantasy images. The ionosphere, there's a there's a firmament, okay. There's not an ionospheric level uh, within the sky. It's I mean, okay, yes, I know people. The meteorologists in the crowd are going to go crazy, and they're gonna be like, like, uh, yeah, there's different levels of sky and altitude. Yes, I understand that. We're just talking about this is a heliocentric based word, right? Because they have the ionosphere, the stratosphere, the thermosphere, all the different levels until you get to outer space. That's occultic nonsense. That's not in scripture, and that's not in observable reality. So don't believe the entirety of the whitewashed idea here. I'm going to kind of go through the, the general premise of what this does. It literally is weather control. It's, it's, it's um, weather pattern displacement through shooting microbursts of radiation into the air. These are all the, the through independent researchers, uh, they've come together within a, like a concentric map of the world where all different harp locations have been placed around the plane of the earth, different countries. So this is... You're like, Sean, I mean, but you're talking about weather control. They would need that, you know, like weather just doesn't start in the United States and then end in the United States. They would need it all over the world. Yeah, that's what we're looking on the screen. All over the world. So this is kind of an up-close look of the actual devices, the actual antennas of the HARP program. There's a lot of them, and they're big. And yes, they can absolutely affect weather. Literally the point of creating plasma clouds, which are beautiful to look at, but they're, you know, it's a perversion of the cloud. 
It's not, it's not normal. I mean, you would see it in high, high frequency, you know, electrical thunderstorms, but this is not, this is, this is not the purpose that's just an offshoot of the plasma discharge from these, like you, like you read from the description, they're high frequency antennas putting out huge transmissions of, uh, of waves into the, into the upper atmosphere. So guys, if you are not familiar with the transmission of that type of energy into the atmosphere, you're, you're, you're counteracting the natural energy that comes from the firmament into the atmosphere that causes the, the atmospheric pressure gradient, which is hundred percent affected by electro electrical impulses as well as magnetism that messes with the hydrostatic pressure gradient of the atmosphere. So this is a manipulation of that natural process, which is why it, it, it can move around and or dissipate and create weather patterns which is why they're putting them all over the world. <laughs> this is weather control, guys. This is weather control. So here's the actual antenna itself of the transmitter. And I always thought this was weird, but then, you know, as I, because I knew about this, you know, I've probably known about harp since the early, the mid two thousands, right? Because I'm a nerd. I, I researched this kind of stuff. So, but it wasn't until probably 2014 when I was researching more stuff about ancient Egypt and, and different concepts. And then, you know, and then doing this series, you start to realize, wait a minute, those antennas, they kind of look familiar. You guys remember part two of the series where we go over the Vajras and how Zeus is always pictured with the Vajra. And it, he, Zeus is the God of thunder and lightning control the, the weather. You guys remember this is what it looked like in his hand. It's got the center piece that comes up and there's the pieces, the, the four pieces that come out on the sides of it. Same thing with ancient India from Lord Indra. He also had a Vajra in his hand in much of his uh, depictions. The metallic stick, the centerpiece with the four pieces that come out of the other side of it. This is the Vajra. And the word Vajra is actually an ancient Indian word uh, from the Sanskrit. And it means uh, to control the weather, but also it literally says in its descriptions, it was used to control flying machines as well. That would make perfect sense if it's shooting transmissions of energy. That's, that's all your remote control does. <laughs> so they just built a remote control with advanced Babylonian tech from the early days where they can literally control the weather or they can control ancient flying machines, as we talked about in part four of this. And also in part two. This is some uh, pieces found of, of Vajras that have been created over time. Now, these particular relics that were found we have on screen here, I don't think that these were the actual Vajras. Like, I don't think that you could try to, like, disassemble these and realize that there's some sort of circuitry or, or something involved in that. Um, I think these were just relics made by the, the cultures that worship those gods. And they knew what this, this was a weapon of those gods. And so then they would make one of these relics as a part of their, of their religion. But this was a, a depiction, as you can see, there's a center point that comes up through them. And then you've got the other pieces that stick out um, as very much like the antennas. And of course I cover this in part two, please go back and check the playlist. If you want to go watch and I go into that in great depth as the most powerful weapon in Babylon. And it, they still have it. They still, <laughs> they still have it guys. It's, it's, <laughs> they still have it. Revelation 11, three through six. And I will give power to my two witnesses. They'll prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. 
clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven. That's huge, guys. That it rain not in the days of the prophecy. And have power over waters to turn them blood and to smite the earth with all plagues, as often as they will. Just like Elijah, right? He had the power to, to pray and stop the rain for three and a half years during the days of Ahab and Jezebel. 1 Kings chapter 14 through 19. These two prophets consider the witnesses of God who are in Jerusalem for 42 months leading up to Yeshua's return. They're also going to be prophesying and people try to stop them and kill them, but they're actually going to have the ability to have weather control. They can stop the rain if they want. That's crazy, guys. So the point is, when the enemy is trying to do weather control for the point of organizing dependency and the father sends two of his witnesses who also have weather control what are we doing <laughs> what is the enemy doing here the enemy is trying to create technology just like they always have because the enemy knows how the father can use these concepts remember the enemy's the enemy's practice is a babylon they're the opposite of the father's so the father says, life begins at conception, and you know, raise all your children, don't, don't hurt them. The enemy is like, well, we're going to hurt them in a variety of ways. Sometimes even before they come out of the womb, we're going to hurt them. And guys, I apologize. I, I, didn't, I said I was going to show you them, but I didn't show you them. Um, I had actually, you don't need to see them. They're, they're sharp tools the Romans used for abortion. You don't need to see them. I, I forgot that I... I had them on a different slide and I didn't put that slide in here. So, but you don't need to see them. You get the idea. Um, but the, the whole point of all these different practices we've talked about authoritarian collectivism, um, authoritarianistic collectivism, communism, basically, warfare, genetic manipulation, which is sorcery, destroying the body with different poisons is a part of that genetic manipulation. Abortion and weather control. These these main concepts here, these are the, the consistent practices throughout history where the father is like, look, I'm an authoritarian and I would like to, for you to believe in my authority, which is his name, right? To worship my name, to show obedience to the name of God. This is what Yahweh asks of us in the covenant. He says, and I got these rules I need you to follow, but it's upon your own choice. If you don't do it, then, well, you're going to suffer consequences for, you know, doing unrighteous behavior, but this is the only way there is to be and to do it with good consequence. And I'm asking you to do this and come into covenant with me. And then I'll give you eternal life. If, if, you know, once you get through this life, I'll raise you to eternal life afterwards. If you show me that you're willing to be in covenant with me, it's very simple. And of course that whole process is made possible through his son. I'm not discounting Yeshua. I'm just, that's a different conversation. So I'm giving you a simplified idea here of the, the, the difference between authoritarian collectivism, that the way the world does it, which kills people, encroaches on their rights, encroaches on their freedoms, wants to control their thoughts, wants to literally systematically round them up and kill them, versus the father, which wants you to flourish, to grow, that, to do his behavior so it's good with you, so that you fill the earth and prosper. Same concept, two different applications, one's perverse and perverted. Father uses warfare, doesn't he? In fact, he uses weather control sometimes with his warfare. But he does it to stop the wicked. That's why he has an entire army of angels. One of the most famous names in scripture is the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sebiath, the Lord of armies. 
See what I'm saying? So we got the father. He wants all life is precious. He wants you to do his ways so that you, you know, reproduce and prosper, fill the earth with goodness. He has these mechanisms at play, right? He doesn't want you to mix your seeds. He doesn't want you to cross species things, right? To change your orders, the individual order that you're created in. He doesn't want you to do that. Part of that changing that order is the drinking blood. So all these five major components of, of Babylon that they try to um, they try to do that they've been doing throughout all the time they're just perverting the ways of the Father. So this is why. Um, go. This is why. When I made this, this is why I made this like this. Sorry, guys. One second. So this is why um, I made this to show, you know, the, the most famous, you know, five-pointed star of the enemy, of witchcraft and of the symbolism of the Baphomet, of the goat head. Well, there's there's five points because this, there's these are the five major concepts that the enemy's used and perverted from the Father to destroy mankind or to get mankind to destroy itself. This is wickedness. It's the practices of Babylon. All right, guys, if you have any questions, put them in all caps. Um, we, we went a little long, but this was just a huge, huge topic. So I had to break it up in two pieces. And even these two pieces are long because it's just a huge topic. I'm, uh, you know, we're giving you the literal machinations of their behavior. But, you know, as these other topics I've been discussing, the, the supplemental, the peripheral descriptions, trappings, ideas, philosophies, there's so much more to talk about, though. So that's why we're only in part 11. And the end of the series will be part 21. So <laughs> we've got another another good 10 episodes to go. So hopefully you're enjoying the series, guys. If you have any questions, put them in all caps. Um, uh, Shannon Mackey, we're actually going to go over Ball Top Towers in um, the last seven parts. Uh, again, I'm systematically going through all this so that by the time we get to certain pieces of information, you know what I'm talking about. And you can see the thought process that took me there, both through... Uh, study of historical um, relevant information as well as scripture. So yeah, I promise I haven't forgot about it. It's it's actually an entire video. I'm going to explain that in great detail, but um, we're not to that video yet. Megan Waz is asking, which Septuagint translation do you study with? Uh, you know, honestly, the the Lexington Lexington English translation is good. Also, I use the Brenton Septuagint as well from the 1800s. Um, Either one of those are fine. Um, I think some people prefer the Lexium a little bit better on specific verses, but again, you know, no translation is perfect. That's why we're always teaching context. It's okay to compare translations, but what I would ask people to not lean on a specific translation, instead lean on understanding how to find context in the passages. Because even with that bad translation, if you find context, it'll help you understand it. That's why you know, go check out my video on the on on Kingdom and Context channel, where it's or just type in the YouTube search bar: ten easy ways to find context from Kingdom and Context. Um, and then I, I show you how to do that with Scripture. So whether or not you have a good or bad translation, you can still get the get the meat of what's being said properly. Uh, Erie Christian is asking, 
what do I think of fire and brimstone street preachers? Um, I never want to denigrate. I never want to denigrate any person that, you know, no matter what level of scripture he has and any man that's or woman that's brave enough to go out and talk with the strangers in public and share the word of God to some degree, you know, they got my respect to some degree. I don't know what, you know, you know, I've, I've seen really good street preachers and really bad ones. So I don't know your experience. I don't know what you've seen, but you know, I think that if people are called to do that, I just pray that they're truly competent and understanding the actual word so that they're not creating unnecessary fear and they're not, you know, disparaging people as opposed to actually giving them good information to lead them unto the goodness of God, which leads to repentance. So I guess, I, you know, I don't know your experiences with that, but probably the most uh, polite way that I could put it. Hopefully they're competent. If that's what they're called to do, may the father bless them. Um, Aaron Berg is asking, I believe the top elites actually physically meet with Satan to learn his stuff. What did it say you? You know what? I don't put it past him. Um, I mean, Jesus, Yeshua had an encounter with Satan. Satan showed up in the flesh to Yeshua to talk to and tempt him in the, in the wilderness three times. You know, I, I don't put it past him. Like he's a he's a he's not some mystical being. He's not as powerful as God. He wasn't even as powerful as Yeshua. In fact, he's not even one of the most powerful angels in creation. He's not even as powerful as the seven archangels listed in First Enoch that we see, you know, throughout Scripture in different places. Like he's uh, he's one of the lower angels as far as I can understand, as far as his placement of power and authority that what he used to have in heaven. But now he just is upon the earth, looking to whom he may devour, as, as Second Peter talks about. And, um, and he's he's a real character, though. That that means he sleeps somewhere, he eats somewhere. He's not described as an angel that doesn't sleep. There's very specific angels in scripture that are described that those who sleep not in first Enoch. Satan, Azazel, is not one of those. <laughs> they put these in practical terms, you know. Think about this stuff for a minute. He gets to, he has to eat food somewhere. He eats food. Yeah, he he runs around. He's a real person. I wouldn't doubt it that he at higher levels of, of secret echelons of rulers of the earth, the kings of the earth. Uh, that he's interacting with him on some level. Yeah. Uh, Kathy, as far as I understand, Holy Communion is a Catholic thing. Um, I, I don't practice Catholic ways or behaviors or traditions. Um, as far as I understand, Holy Communion is something that is a tradition adopted from references in the New Testament to Passover. And we 100% should do Passover. That's Nexus 12. Exodus 23, Leviticus 23, Numbers 28, Deuteronomy 16. So I would 100% recommend we do Passover eternally. I also read about it tonight in 2 Chronicles chapter 30. It's an eternal command. We'll be doing it in the kingdom as well, as referenced by Yeshua in Luke 22, Matthew 26, also in Ezekiel 45. So it's an eternal feast of God. It's a beautiful thing, Passover, which leads into the seven days of unleavened bread. That we should practice. But the ritual of Holy Communion, I don't, I don't get down with it. Um, West Plays Music is asking, my my faith has been strengthened by the series to see how consistent the enemy has been in their behavior and how it's against God's behavior. Oh, okay, so you're not. But I appreciate the comment, brother. Yeah, thank you for the thank you for that. Hopefully, you guys are getting blessed by this series. And um, yeah, man, it's there's a lot of information, a lot of information here. 
Yeah, I mean, think about it, PS. You, you know, this is just a common assumption we would have from from bad Catholic theology that's been carried over through Protestant churches, right? That they claim that all angels are the same. Well, they're not. They have different class systems of angels that's spouse in scripture. And then uh, they have, there's like these three levels of really powerful angels that are considered the uh, the archangels. Um, some of them are called Ophanim. We don't get their names. The Seraphim, we don't really get their names. As There's all types of different, you know, the Cherubim. So, and then you've got the Watchers, which seems to be a different class as well. And that seems to be of the class that Azazel was. And uh, yeah, think about this. You're going to be made with the same type of spiritual body like the angels have, one that's made of water and light, the one that Yeshua received at his resurrection. And what did he say in John chapter 20 when he showed up inside the locker room to the disciples? He asked them if, if anyone has anything to eat because he was hungry. And he ate the fish in front of them. You're, I can't stress this enough. I know I've talked about this on Kingdom in Context and some previous podcasts here on Kingdom Cast, but I just can't stress this, stress this enough, guys. We're the, the spiritual world is has been rebranded in our minds from modern media and bad Catholic doctrine. The spiritual world is as physical and as real and as tangible as this beanie and as this piece, as this glass and as this this wood desk that I have everything sitting on here. The, the I mean. <laughs> Thomas touched the flesh of our resurrected Savior who has a spiritual body now. This is what he promises us, that we receive at our resurrection. We get this glorified immortal body that's made of spirits, not of the dirt of the earth. But it's still touchable. It's still. He, Thomas touched his side. He ate some food with the disciples. He cooked him breakfast on the, on the lakeside a few mornings later. Like he's, he's, That means the food went in and gets processed somehow. We're real. We, we come back to real life. We don't get resurrected to a dream world. We're resurrected to real life. The angels have been existing in real life where they have to keep the Sabbath in heaven, where they take a day off from work. The angels, according to Jubilee 6, have been celebrating first fruits since the beginning of creation in heaven above. That means some of them garden. They bring their produce for first fruits. That means they have some sort of dirt. They have growing stalks of food. Pull carrots out of the ground. It's a real, it's a real, it's real, guys. What is the psalm that, that uh, Yahweh owns the cattle on a thousand hills? I, <laughs> yeah, hopefully we start to really, you know, the more we study scripture, we start to realize all the deceptions that have been pulled over our eyes because of the, the practices of Babylon. Um, Aaron, I really don't know, brother. I mean, you're, you have to look at each different field of medicine and what they're doing. Um, you know, it, there's a, there's so many different types that that'd be hard for me to start breaking it all down, um, especially without having any prepared research on it to, to make it organized information for you. But um, clearly the stuff we talked about tonight, when you start to do that type of quote unquote medicine, it's it's not good. But, you know, I wouldn't throw a blanket across all of modern medicine and call it, which I was specifically talking about inoculations and vaccines. So.
Guys, if I missed one of your questions from earlier on when I was still talking and when I was still doing the, the slides and the presentation, just repeat it. Just, you know, copy paste and put it in all caps and drop it again in the chat because my chat doesn't let me refresh all the way back to the beginning of the broadcast. Yeah, that's as far as back as I can go. Um, Mike K. Gunder, we actually addressed this in Honor of Kings. So go to go to my channel, my other main channel, Kingdom in Context, and go to my playlists. Um, go to Honor of Kings Season 2 playlist. And I think there's like 19 or 20 videos, but we actually went through the whole book of Tobit, and uh, we do address that. Um, there's, It's not a... a you know, a demonic ritual to, I mean, literally you can, frankincense has been burned, uh, has been considered a cleansing agent as well. But um, it, it's, it's big difference when in a demonic, you remember what Jesus said, right? That uh, what's the uh, idea of, you know, a house divided against itself cannot stand, right? You can't cast out Beelzebub by Beelzebub. So this is uh, just like in the book of Jubilees, chapter 10, where Noah's complaining. He's not really complaining, but he's trying to tell, he's trying to, you know, ask the father, hey, man, uh, thank you that you brought us through the flood. You're the creator of heaven and earth. And by, by the way, all those Nephilim uh, who were here before the flood, all those giants and all their chimeras and everything, all the unclean spirits that had bodies before the flood, well, they're still here. Um, they just don't have bodies. So we need your help because they're plaguing my sons and they're causing diseases on my sons. So this is where you have this conversation in Julius chapter 10, 1 through 10, where, you know, nine tenths of those unclean spirits are locked away. And, the, and then that one last tenth is left under the control of Satan, um, which is where we now have the dichotomy of Satan and unclean spirits that go and tempt mankind. But then as a follow up to that conversation, the angel, that's the mediator between the father and Noah at this moment, he then gives Noah a book of medicines from the herbs of the earth, which counteract all the diseases of the unclean spirits. And so that's what literally we're reading in Tobit is happening, in my opinion, is you have an unclean spirit affecting a family and it's plaguing them. And an angel knows how to, by using the ingredients from the earth, he knows how to get rid of the unclean spirit. Very interesting, guys. Very interesting. So, and this actually lends into a bigger conversation as far as why sickness happens when an unclean spirit tries to either oppress or possess someone, basically interacting with someone too much. And I think it's the same reason why you would have the uh, the plague that would break out in the Old Testament that, that they would have to quarantine for in Leviticus 13 and 14, which is the spiritual beings. So, for example, guys, go back and watch our kingdom portions on Kingdom of Context. Uh, we did two full episodes on leprosy and how that's a modern term applied to you know an ancient biblical term called the plague which would break out upon the people if they came close without a clean heart and also without a clean body. So this is when you take a, a human who gets next to a spiritual being for too much long exposure, when that human is unclean in some capacity, which has, it means he's not right in his heart or his outside body. And then there's an adverse reaction in the physical body of the human. Well, that's when he's around the power of God through the angels of God. Right when he came before the tent of meeting and he, he wasn't have his heart or his body prepared, he could break out in leprosy or the plague. He had to be quarantined, inspected by the priest, and there was a process, and he brought, you know, in a, a sacrifice for atonement, that kind of stuff. But on the flip side, with the unclean spirits, remember the angelic messengers of the father are spiritual beings. The Nephilim who've lost their body from before the flood are 
a tenth of them are still on the earth, as we call demons or unclean spirits. Well, they're a spiritual being. They're just unclean, as whereas the angelic beings are clean as far as their nature, but they're still a spiritual being. So when the humans come in contact with that, the human flesh can have an adverse reaction, which creates sicknesses of different kinds, which is what Noah is describing in Jubilees chapter 10. And the angel gives him a book of medicine from the, you know, the things that grow naturally in the earth to counteract the, the sicknesses brought on by unclean spirits. So long story. I don't mean to answer too long, brother, but go check out Honor King season two. We did several episodes covering the whole book of Tobit. Um, that's a little bit of, a, of an in-depth quick answer for you. So hopefully it's a blessing to you. Just trying to break down some of the physics of how the father, um, how the father's creation interacts with each other in good and bad ways. Uh, Royce Bell, I, hey brother, I, I appreciate the the request, brother. I'm sorry I don't have um, any kind of motivation for you. Um, I may have like you know. Um, may have like a roundhouse kick to the backside and be like, hey, brother, if you're struggling with prayer, the thing to do is pray. I'm, I'm sorry, man. I'm not the best on the motivating, but, you know, if I was in the same room with you, I'd pray with you. You know, may the Father increase your faith, right? The best way sometimes to do that is just to do it. See what I'm saying? So instead of talking about it right now, let's get on your knees and pray. Start praying. You don't have to feel it. It's not a feeling. It's an action. It's a practice. You brush your teeth when you don't feel like it. You take a shower when you don't feel like it. Take the trash out when you don't feel like it. Pray if you don't feel like it. You don't have to feel like it. So, so it's maybe not the most motivating, but hopefully that's a will will linger in your brain. Uh, Aaron Berg is asking about Tesla Tech and Harp. I, you know, honestly, I think. Um. Yes and no. Like I think what they've done is they've taken Tesla's ideas and then they modified it over time because they've been studying it since 1938 uh, when they raided his, his New York apartment and the Department of War Powers raided his apartment and stole all of his notes and all of his research and everything. So I, I think they've been testing it. And in fact, there's a in addition to harp, like what I was talking about with it, with the end of, of the uh, of the practices of Babylon presentation and just explaining that all these concepts, including weather control, in my personal opinion, there's no way it doesn't say this in scripture. This is just my personal opinion. What we see, the father can use whether himself, through his angels or through his prophets, to, to battle the enemy. So the enemy also wants to be able to manipulate and control the weather too. So that, in my opinion, the enemy is is for the last 70, 80 years, is is using you know powerful nations around the world to do research on advanced science projects like this and you know, as we, as we know from Aleister Crowley and Jack Parsons and all that doing literally doing seances to try to get advanced information for advanced technology from the unclean spirits, because they want to create weapons of war to literally fight Yeshua and the angels when he returns so they can stand their ground. Now they're not going to be able to, but that in my, in my personal opinion, I think that's their overall motivation is like, they're literally prepping for what they know is coming. And they, and we may not know the, the day or the hour, and I don't think they do either, but I think they know the general season and, um, and I think they're prepping as fast as they can, as fast as possible to try to create weapons that they think will stand against Yeshua and his angels. But it's it's not going to. It's it's going to be a very lopsided, one-sided battle where the enemy loses and they're all fleeing as they 
um, mess their pants and try to run away. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a rough day for them on the day of Armageddon. But I think that's what they're trying to do in vain. That's Psalm two, right? Why do the nations plot and rage in vain? It's everything they're trying to do is in vain. Hopefully that's a decent answer for your brother. Um, you, you know, Justina, I would say if you're going to donate blood, like, you know, I don't, that's, you know, I think I, I would say that's a personal decision. You'd have to pray about that. I know that there, um, I, I've always kind of, not always I, of late, I've been very suspect of blood banks. And I say of late, as in like the last 10 years, I'm kind of, you know, taking a like cross-eyed glance, like, you know, I can't really raise my, I can't really raise one eyebrow like the rock, but if I could, I would do that every time I pass one of those blood bank trailers that you see in different towns. Right. Because I'm sitting there going like, who, where's the oversight to know that that's actually going to people that are needed in hospitals. Yet, yeah, If you're, if you work in the medical field, yes, I know that you deal with people that have had trauma, uh, emergency rooms and need blood transfusions and they're doing that kind of thing. I personally wouldn't take a blood transfusion, but I know that that's a common practice in modern society to keep people alive um, and to try to save people that have been injured. And, and that's why I would say, Justine, it's on your heart. It's, it's, I would pray about it between you and the father, but uh, probably the only time at this point, knowing what I know about the enemy and how it, it, it does use concepts like this, I probably wouldn't give blood until like I hundred percent knew it was going to my wife or like, and I don't even think she wants a blood transfusion from me. I don't even know. Cause we both don't believe in it really, but I just think that ultimately I would want to, I would want to know exactly where that's going. Basically that, that would be my biggest issue with it. Um, yeah. It's, it's a tough question. All right, guys, I'll take just a couple more questions and I'm going to jump out of here. I think it's already past two hours. Uh, we got delayed a little bit with getting kicked off the platform earlier. I guess I said too many keywords at once. Uh, Jeff Burgess is asking, why do you think some people willingly stand up and defend their right to murder their children when others see so clearly this is horribly evil practice? It's all about deception, brother. It's all about deception. It's a spiritual war we're fighting. People get deceived. They don't see straight. Uh, this is why there's, you know, and, and the opening chapter of the book of Enoch, it says this is the, the prophet Enoch, you know, whom a righteous man whom God opened his eyes. And that that's an idiom. That's a that's a phrase that you see in scripture, right? It's a um, a commonly used phrase for people that have been there. They woke, right? They get their eyes open and they're woke to Torah. They're woke to the father's behavior, the creator's behavior. Um, unfortunately, most of the world is asleep, you know? Um, so this is our prayer, right? Is that we, we shine the light to folks with our behavior because when you're asleep, a bright shining light can often cause you to wake up. I know we're playing with metaphor right now, but that's, you know, that's how the Bible speaks of it. And you, your Torah behavior, your righteous behavior, your behavior that you're practicing of the Father and the Son, that's shining a light to those who are sleeping around you, which may cause them to open their eyes a little bit. You know, um, obviously our words do that, but this is why you'll have people out there um, literally supporting, standing in front of abortion clinics, chanting, you know, they want it, that, it, you know, they, they think it's a good thing. But then 10 years later, they've been redeemed by the Father and the Son. And, you know, they've come to know the father and through his Messiah and have completely repented and had a heart change. And now they're out there on the other side of the street of abortion clinics arguing against it. So it's, it's all about deception, brother. 
All right, one last question, guys. Um, Margaret Garcia is asking, what are your thoughts on the city on Seven Hills being just the world since there are seven continents? Well, um, I don't think that just, just right off the bat, I don't think that's the application of that personally. Um, I, I personally think the, the city in the Seven Hills is going to get burned by the Antichrist and the Beast and, and the forces at the end times literally is Rome because she's um, the beast that rides. Or she's the, the harlot that rides the back of the beast across the world, affecting many peoples. Um, so, yes, I know Jerusalem also supposedly has seven hills as well. Um, a lot of people don't realize this as well, but the, the topography of Jerusalem from a bird's eye view is actually shaped like a shin, the, the Hebrew letter shin, which I think is interesting, which means to destroy. Um, so that's, I don't know what that's worth, but I know that, that place is going to get destroyed at the return of the Lord because he's got to sit down the new Jerusalem on top of it. So that could be, that could be what it means. But as far as the equation of that terminology in Revelation to being all the continents of the world, that's an assumption. And this is about to get wild. That's an assumption that there only are seven continents. Think about that for a minute, sister. That information was told to you by occultists who play in fantasy land and have tried to tell you that you live on a fantasy object flying through fantasy space. That's not what the Father's Word says. I don't know how many land masses there are that we would arbitrarily designate as a continent. I don't know if there's more out there. There's, there's huge questions about that because there's places around this plane of the earth that we're not allowed to explore because of an uh, international defense force uh, all co cooperatively, excuse me, cooperatively and collectively organized under the Antarctic Treaty that will allow us to explore all the different places of this earth. We were told that, that we've already explored all the places of this earth and that there's no need to go venture any further, yet they literally, with military force, keep you from freely exploring all the places of this earth. So that's a big assumption to say that there's only seven land masses. I don't know. I really don't know, sister, but that's an interesting thought. Um, I appreciate everybody being here tonight, guys. And uh, thanks for enduring with me as we had some uh, technical difficulties earlier as well. But uh, overall, I appreciate you guys. And uh, with, as schedule allows, Lord willing, we'll be on part 12 next week. And then hopefully you guys will be back. Thank you. We'll see you next time.